don't hire a PA and just to take some roles away from you. Really go into it with a business mindset that you're taking on a team member to double your income or to provide double the service to double the people. So it's going to be that whole one plus one equals five concept rather than just one plus one equals two. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts, visit EliteAgentElevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, Visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast. I'm podcast producer Cass Charlesworth, making a cameo today to introduce an episode with a bit of a difference. In today's podcast, we're going to hear about team building from the personal perspective of three successful agency leaders. Taken from the most recent Transform, our expert panel includes Hayley Vanderven from Remax Results. Grant Smith of Century 21, and Will Honey of The Property Collective. We hope you enjoy the show. What you're going to hear today is different perspectives on team building from some people who have actually been there and done that. I just want to introduce them to you. First of all, Hayley Vanderven from Remax Results. So Hayley, tell us a little bit about you and your business and your journey in real estate so far. I have been in the business now since I was 17. So without giving that away, that's 18 years. And I've had the transition from receptionist, property management assistant, six years of sales with one company, and then six years of sales to another. I purchased our business five years ago with no business experience. And, you know, that's usually quite a typical journey for a real estate principal. Often they do come from a sales background, but I had no business experience. I'd only ever been in real estate. But at the same time, some wonderful lessons to be learnt. A mum of two boys as well. And my husband currently works in the business as a salesperson here. Yeah, is that and Grant you were like the youngest ever centurion or something I read somewhere and you've been like area winner and all sorts of stuff so tell us a little bit about your journey yeah absolutely I started in real estate when I was 14 as a school-based trainee I wanted to be an architect originally so pre-REA and print media it was always a case of circling the properties that I was interested in I'd go as far as my bike would take me on looking at properties and then got offered a job by Remax, Hayley, when I was 14. So I started my school-based traineeship there and uh, worked with Remax in Budroom for three years, then did a two-year apprenticeship with Ray White and bought the business and settled on it the day before my 21st birthday. So again, giving away ages. I've been in real estate or owning my own company for 14 years and this will be my 20th year in real estate. So a a veteran in my 30s. (laughs) I can't believe you guys all look so young for decades of experience. All of those memes just can't be true either about how real estate ages you. You all look amazing. You've got to have a good Botox lady, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Queenslanders keeping it real as always. And Will, tell us a bit about your business and particularly the last few months, which have been pretty exciting for you. Like the other guys, I started when I was young, well, relatively young. I started when I was 18. And I was a PA for my father who was actually in sales. So I started my career learning from the ground up, so to speak. Then spent some years selling projects off plan, then went into the established market for a few years and then became a principal and bought the business 
that I had previously to the current one. And I had that for about seven years. And then just recently, as Sam mentioned, teamed up with Hannah Gill to launch the Property Collective, which launched in December. So we came out of a franchise world and now we're with an agile, uh, super exciting new brand. So yeah, rejuvenated. I've been in real estate for 20 years. So I probably still look like I'm 16, but I started when I was very young, but I've, yeah, I've enjoyed every year. So it's, it's a great industry. I can remember having conversations with Hannah last year and she's saying, I'm starting my own business in the middle of a pandemic. Am I crazy? I'm like, what better time? What better opportunity? Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, yeah. Just, we're, we're very lucky. We've got a really good team with us. Obviously, Hannah's been in the industry for 15 years, so we've got a lot of experience. So we are new, but we're not a new business. So we're quite fortunate. Speaking of teams, so I know, Will, just recently, like you guys have grown super quick in the last couple of months. How many team members do you have on board at the moment? We have 21 staff at the moment. That's a mixture of all types of different roles. So we have, of course, your, your salespeople, property managers. We've got client experience lead generation team operations and marketing and that includes social media as well as I said, we're a new business but yeah we've got a lot of experience in our camp and Haley, going back to the early days in your business when did it first occur to you that you couldn't do it all alone and that you needed people around you Oh, uh, probably very quickly because I had some big, hairy, audacious goals and I knew that there was no way I could achieve them on my own. So building that team around us was just crucial. Um, now, it, it's taken me five years, I think, to get the right support structure. I call them our executive team that looks after both of the offices and now we've created an admin hub, which again was like another sub-team within our team and building the culture within each of those teams I think was really important as well so yeah I honestly I think it's taken me five years to finally find the right people the right systems and to understand how we can like scale for further growth. Yeah that's interesting because someone's just said that their challenge is getting everyone following the same system because everyone thinks their ideas are best straight off the bat do you have any tips on answering that one? It does come down to the leadership of that team and embracing everybody's ideas. You have to hear them out as well because you, I think you've got to run that fine line about, okay, great, that's an awesome idea. We might take that on moving forward or let's explore that further down the track or some of the things that we can do because we not like you don't want them to stop giving you great ideas because your ideas may not be the best you know and sometimes as a leader of a team you have to acknowledge that and like that old adage about surrounding yourself by people that are smarter than you or better or more capable or whatever you don't want to be the best person in the room you want to encourage that from your team as well and yeah I guess my tip around that would be listen to them see what they have to say. And potentially sometimes it's a great idea to try these things. You don't have to do them forever, but give them a crack and see how they go. Yeah, everything's a test till it's not, right? 100%. And you know what? One or two of those ideas might make you yeah. a load of money and then you'll be kicking yourself you didn't implement it sooner. Grant, do you remember your first assistant and taking them on and what was that like for you? I do. I think the most important part is, I suppose, you really need to be focused on 
your own performance before you get lazy and try and outsource. We have Centurion status, which is the top five, uh, 2% internationally. And I was the only agent at 19, 20, that year of my career. So it would have been year three of actually being in real estate, the only Centurion that didn't have a PA. So you've got to have a good understanding of your own structure. I see so many agents out there rushing off to get a personal assistant and it's not to create more productivity or create a higher income because the whole idea of an assistant is they should be able to double your income on obviously a fraction of that salary. I just see it so often that a PA becomes an expense to a lazy agent rather than focusing on the core values of knowing yourself what you need to do before you can start outsourcing the things you don't want to do. You have to have done it all. You have to have done the prospecting, the door knocking, the letterbox drops, and you've got to get all of that under your own belt before you can go looking for someone else to do it because there is no lazy way to success, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a good tip, actually, just have done it all so that in the beginning, you need to teach someone how to do everything the way that you want them to learn, right? That's right. And I think the important part, I think, is finding the right fit. I've been really big on that. I think every assistant I've ever had, even if I've not known them from a bar of soap when we've initially met, I've always said, I will never be your boss, but I'm going to become your best friend. And, and it's a laughing point at the, the interview, but it's so true. Like there's after hours, phone calls, meetings, catch-ups, like it, it, they do become your best friend. You're spending more time with them than your own partner, really. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I do remember somebody I interviewed once said, we look for someone that we'd be happy to take to dinner. And if we're not happy to take them to dinner with our family or ask them to pick up our four-year-old, then they're not going to be part of the business. Like, That's right. And also one of the things that I found in the beginning is you've got to transition your model of how you do business. Obviously, there's always going to be those clients from the very, very early days that dealt with no one but you and you did everything, but that has to evolve. But most importantly, you have to think, what are my qualities and what brings me business? Because you've got to accept you won't do business with everybody um, and understand what the values are of you as a person and just make sure that you think, well, if my client's sitting at the table, if it's me or them in front, have they actually engage the same personality, same type of person to sell their home because I can't go in and have someone that's completely different to me and the client's going, well, what's going on here? You know, you're two different types of people. So you've just got to remember that the reasons and the personalities that you possess and give the engagement of of an agent, you need to make sure that your assistant has whatever those same qualities are as you. Like I'm more flamboyant. I'm not going to be able to walk onto a builder's construction site in a pair of Gucci loafers and expect to get a builder's piece of stock. So you've just got to understand who your farm, I always say it's your farm demographic, not your farm area. Because lots of different people live in one suburb, but you need to find the type of people across a few suburbs that you will do the most amount of business with. So I always say farmer demographic, not an area. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true because then you find your tribe and and you can do more things to appeal to them. So we were going to deal with this question a bit later on, but I'll pick it up now because you just mentioned it. A lot of agents are afraid to take on an assistant or afraid to delegate things because the customer experience might be slightly different or because the client is expecting you versus somebody else. So Hayley, how do you manage that with your clients in the beginning when you were introducing somebody else into the team, if you like? And the client really was saying, well, but where's Hayley? That is actually a a very real challenge. I've only just recently tackled it in property management. We like had a bit of a restructure in January 2020. And I went into doing the property management BDM role in Brisbane short term. 
just to kind of get my head around exactly what was going on in that department and really get across it because I'm a non-selling principal so I don't like I'm not having to be on the tools but in saying that I found that that transition from like new business to property manager, obviously like your new business, like your BDMs of the world are quite usually quite flamboyant personalities and their eye type personalities and they're personable and they're more salesy. And then you transfer them over to a property manager who's maybe like a C type personality. It's really like process driven, not as personality based. And that transition is quite difficult. So what I found is that I was getting calls from landlords all the time and being like oh why aren't they getting back to me straight away or I've texted this person and they're not getting back to me because they were used to a level of service from me that was very sales based like they needed something at nine o'clock at night no worries I'd be straight back to them so I set myself up to fail in that sense so to reverse engineer that we went back to them and I said okay cool like right at the start I am the business owner this is the process Once we've got you down this track, this is when I introduce you to Faith. She's amazing. And started talking her right up at the start so that they didn't feel they were being palmed off as soon as they signed their Form 6. And look, she is amazing. So that makes it easy. But I've also had not so amazing people that we've had in our team that when I've handed them over, they've seriously let me down. So that's a bit of a managing expectations from the client's point of view as well. If this does happen, know that you can always call me. But this person is extremely capable. They're amazing at what they do. They're property manager of the year for X, Y, and Z. You know, so it was really qualifying the fact that they are good at what they do as well. So just managing the client's expectation around who and when, but also really giving them confidence about the person I was handing them to rather than just being like, my PA is just going to show up at the open homes. She'll put the sign up. She'll put the flag up, take everybody's details, and she's out of there because she's got 16 more to do this weekend. Yeah. Well, what about you? What I saw you nodding then. So what are your thoughts? Are they similar to Haley's or how do you approach that problem? Yeah, I think it's expectation management and clients are open to when you transition or grow your business and you're introducing new people into the team, explaining to clients why you're doing that and that it's going to be a benefit to them based on the decisions you've made in your business. So management, uh, expectation management is key to it. And as Haley said, ensuring that they know they're in safe hands but you as the the main point of contact or their relationship person is that you'll keep an eye on everything gives them that assurance so I think it's all about education from a client's perspective. Let's talk about EBUs for a moment or effective business units is that still a thing is that still the acronym du jour EBUs? I think so. So I want to ask you all what sort of an EBU system you run in your office. Last year was a pretty watershed year in terms of what agents needed to do to effectively service clients. And we've seen all sorts of other different roles popping up, marketing and people hiring videographers. And I remember a few years ago at Eric Highland Property, hired a personal trainer. What do your EBUs look like at the moment? And are there any other roles popping up? So I might start with, actually, I'm going to start with Will, because I know that you approach it all a little bit differently to most of the industry. So will you share what your structure looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So I am... just a bit of background from where I uh, was to where I am now in, in my business structure. I started as a salesperson and, and did the normal EBU set up with an admin assistant and then a sales assistant. So I, I did that space. Then when I took over the business, current, I'll call it the current business, I then looked at how I could expand that and leverage, it, leverage that across the whole business. So in 
my world, we have specialist roles that deliver certain elements of the transaction. So it's really just an EBU across a whole brand. So we do have, as you mentioned, we have marketing specialists that, that assists the agents with managing their social media as well as doing the brand. Uh, we have admin assistants or admin team, I should say, uh, customer experience or client experience team. Then we have operations. My mentality is that if I have the sales team or the PMs doing the high touch, high value roles within the business, and then I can take care of everything else, we get better outcomes for our clients. And that's how we make money as well as being principals or, or owners of the business. So I'm not a, a full-time selling and listing agent. My job is to make sure that the sales team getting what they need to perform at high levels. That's the sort of structure we work. So it's a, an EBU across the whole business. And we've found really great success for delivering high customer experience, as well as we're able to onboard people into the industry with zero experience. And because we have that foundation, uh, they can get better resources than they would if they were working in a traditional real estate model uh, by going and employing personal assistants or employing those other resources to then train them, onboard them and pay them. So we're just using a, a scalable model across the whole brand. And, and we've had lots of mistakes. It's something that we didn't get right. It took a very long time to get it, but we're, I think we're in a really good groove at the moment. And having Hannah come on and take care of the, the property management business, we're starting to apply that those learnings across the whole entire business, which is super exciting because there's so much synergies between sales and PM. We really don't look at them as two separate businesses. That is interesting, and we will pick that up shortly because that's my grizzle with real estate agents at the moment. I've dealt with quite a lot in the last couple of months, but they don't look at us as one person. It's you're either a tenant or you're in the sales databases and maybe buyer or something else. So we'll pick that one up. I just want to get some views from Grant and Haley first, but I do want to pick up the who do you hire because you just mentioned there that you hire people with zero experience. So I'm, I'm going to come, I'm put a bookmark there. I'm going to come back to that one. But Grant, Haley, how do EBUs run in your office? I'll start with Grant. So what happens now in your place of work? I think the opinion of the no experience isn't necessarily a bad thing, but that can be a no experience in real estate. Three-day course, we can pump that out you know, in under a week to get someone that, but you can't train personality. You can't train values. You can't train a good upbringing. So I think you've really got to find the right person because reality is real estate, salespeople make the worst real estate agents. I would never employ a used car salesman or someone who's a salesman. It's a relationship industry and it's likability. It doesn't matter how many houses you've got under your books that you've sold. If people don't like you, they're not going to do business with you. So you have to be an infectious personality that people just want to do business with. And I think you need to look at that when you're looking at hiring someone to be in your team. Is this person likable? Is this someone relatable? And if they tick all of those boxes, hey, here's 500 bucks, go do the three-day course. The rest will just flow. Yeah, absolutely. Hayley, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think personality and attitude is the most important thing. And there's a, a question up on there about who to hire and who works for the team. So I don't know if we're going to go back to that, but that's a total different Pandora's box. There's a few on my list that were pretty much in line with some of these, with these issues on who to hire and when. So one of them was, if you're going to hire an assistant, do you think it's better to hire someone with experience or whether it's better to hire someone that doesn't have any real estate experience so that you can train them up into your systems, your culture, your way of doing business? I think it depends on whether or not you need them to hit the ground running 
or you have the time and the patience to build them up as you go. So it's like your strategy play, right? For an experienced agent that's potentially writing 600 that wants to go to 1.2, they probably don't have time to teach somebody like how to do a basic letter template or to respond to that type of stuff. An agent at that level really needs somebody that is experienced that can be like, bam, cool, here's your day's work, off you go that can respond to clients and has maybe somebody a little bit more mature, somebody that can handle issues without having to get the agent dragged into them a lot of the time, that type of thing. Whereas if they're looking for a home finder, say they're a $300,000 agent and they're thinking, okay, I'm going to start with somebody maybe part-time or they want to take advantage of that new traineeship scheme that's been offered by the government at the moment where they can have that person half subsidized. I mean, that gives them a $27,000 liability potentially instead of a 50 like that's a really good opportunity then that's a little bit different but again it's how much work are they going to have to put into them to get them to be doubling their productivity how long does it take realistically let's just bat this around for a second if you do hire someone with no real estate experience as grant said just let's just hire somebody likable let's hire me i reckon i'd be a great real estate agent and i'm likable and friendly most days with enough sleep and enough coffee. But Grant, how long would it take me to train me up to be a decent real estate agent on your team or a decent buyer's consultant or someone that was capable of just handling the admin? 14 years of owning the office, I think I've only had three or four sales associates in that whole time, which will probably come to the questions about how you reward different people. But for Darren, he's been with me for two years now. And I would say that the first three months is the learning process. By six months, you're getting the hang of it. At the 12-month mark, just by mirroring and spending so much time together, I would say it's pretty well a 12-month process. But once again, with the right person that just gets it, you're not having to repeat yourself 10 times about how to do small tasks. And like real estate, you, you do hit the ground running no matter which way you look at it. So I think it's yeah, just important to have them mirror what you say, how you react, and slowly learn from that rather than textbook environment sitting around a table and role-playing. Yeah. What about you, Will? How long do you spend training up your new recruits? I think it depends on the, the role, on how long it's going to take for someone to, to really take to the role. But from a, I'll speak from a salesperson's perspective, I think it's different. People are different how they learn and how quickly they take on things. But as far as, again, it's expectation management. A lot of people look at the industry from the outside and especially if they've got no experience and they think that they'll have success straight away and they really, I suppose they judge themselves early in their careers if they're not listing property or making sales. So I set the expectation that they won't have huge success for at least two years. And if we do have success earlier than that, then that's a bonus. So I'm very um, process driven. Some people have picked it up very quickly. Uh, others take longer. The 12 months is a, I, I agree with Grant, that's when you start to understand it and you start to get in your groove. And that's the next 12 months that you start to, uh, become, uh, you know, what is it, uh, subconsciously competent and then you can grow from there. So I think it's a two-year journey for a salesperson, to be honest, but some people pick it up earlier. And that was pretty in line, guys, with what Will Ainsworth said on Tuesdays. You've got to set the expectation up front that it will be like a two-year journey before you can go out on your own maybe. And it's the judge. It's, everyone wants to be successful and they want to be successful straight away. And if, if they're in a good team and they see people achieving good results, they then start to judge themselves that they're not good enough. But if they're doing the process, you know, learning the process and, and learning the basics of real estate, the success will come and you've really got to train 
people who aren't necessarily, they might be high achievers because most people who are in real estate and sales are very driven and they want results straight away. So you've got to really manage their expectations to expect it down the track. I would never have gotten that. These people aren't competitive at all listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Hayley, I did find that question. It was from Colin Wallbank. He's managing two offices. So he's got two offices in WA in um, Pemberton and Manjimup. I love those suburb names. But how do you split yourself across two offices managing the team? Is it, I think you answered it a bit earlier, but just again, could you just tell us how you cross both of those offices? Yeah, sure. The key people element is probably the most important thing and having a really good admin team. We call them like our exec team that I mentioned before to make sure that everybody has everything they want. If I'm not available, that there's always somebody else to go to. So like on our org chart, there's my backup, then the person that can back up them. So if there's a problem or an issue, it's having someone that's always available to them because I'm not there physically for them. So I want to be there emotionally for them and also from an advice point of view. Now, one of the key features to my Mackay office is that I just, I really only have great agents up there. Like I don't have anybody that's brand new. We have two elite agents up there and one that's owned an office of their own before. So he's in semi-retirement mode and it's only three agents, but they run their own teams and I've empowered them to build their own businesses where they just have all the support services from us. So even though I'm not physically there, it's more of a mentor relationship, a little bit more business to business than that employee relationship. I could probably never have a brand new agent in my Mackay office that I was responsible for. Um, Happy for our agents to grow a brand new agent in their teams, but it would be really unfair for a brand new agent to, you know, start them off in Mackay without somebody being directly responsible for them. We can talk about the top performer in Mackay because she's well known to most of this group. So Leanne Drury is at Remax Results, Mackay running her own EBU. And of course, some of you might know Leanne. She was our Transform winner in 2017. And I guess this is a good time to ask the question. Underperformers come with their own challenges. New performers come with their own challenges. Superstar performances come with their own challenges. So what do you do when you've got a superstar like that on your team? Who's I think she's number one market share now for Mackay as well. She is an exceptional agent and I this is going to be her best year yet. Like she's geared up and firing on all cylinders. And I think the, the most important thing with the superstars is the relationship that you have with them as the leader. For me, as I said before, I don't want to be the best person in the room. I'm cool to be surrounded by a whole bunch of megastars because it's actually not about me. It's about empowering them on their journeys and providing them with the support and services. Leanne doesn't need much from me. She needs a calm head when things don't go right. And she also needs me to come on, take on some of her problems sometimes. So say, for example, a bad review comes in or something that, you know, is really can derail somebody that's moving at 3,000 miles an hour. That's the kind of thing that, like, as the leader, I'm happy to take on board, deal with, make sure that it's resolved and get the best possible outcome. Occasionally things pop up, like something's in a contract that was wrong or an administrative error has slipped through the cracks or whatever it may be. As the leader of that team, I take that responsibility on myself and say, okay, cool. You just go list and sell property. I will fix this problem for you. With an elite performer, that's what they need. They need a mentor and a coach. They don't need a boss and they definitely don't need somebody that puts a lid on their jar. 
I see Will nodding. What are your thoughts, Will, on managing a superstar? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. They they need a, a mentor coach, not a boss. That's a really good statement. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk KPIs for a moment because what gets measured gets managed. So, Grant, what are the main KPIs that you track in your business? I suppose the, the main one is the commission you're writing. But I've never been a KPI person, to be honest. I came from a corporate environment at Ray White, which you know, there's no right or wrong. That's It's just what works for you. And the 80 doors a day and the 100 phone calls a day doesn't work for me. But going and having coffee or a glass of wine with three people that, you know, are in your, as I said, your farm demographic is going to be far more beneficial in how I do business than setting KPIs. And I think that stems down even to, unlike the other guys, they have got the big teams, whereas we've got that banner of Century 21 to have the corporate identity to back us but we're still very much a small family owned and operated business. So I've got two part-time sales ladies and it's Darren and I, for me, I just find it easier just to take on all of the stock and have Darren do all the admin work. And I just deal with clients than losing half to a salesperson and you're still doing all of the work for it anyway. But that's just once again, there's no right or wrong, but I think it's just important to make sure that you're working out what your sort of momentum is, what sort of referral base you've got coming in to ensure that you're still collecting enough listings to convert to sale based on what the market's doing at any given time to make sure that you are still sitting at the level that you know you expect to sell each quarter. And that's one thing. We all have bad days, bad weeks, bad months. You can't look at real estate in a month or a week because you can sell five and have three crash the next week. So you've got to really look at, at, at a focus of a quarter. And it, when you start sort of looking at everything as a quarter, I mean, I know it's a little bit hard to travel now, but as an agent, every end of quarter, I'd always have something booked, whether it be a trip overseas or whether it be just a weekend away in Palm Cove or whatever it may be, you've got to have that reward for yourself at the end of the quarter and don't worry about the bad days or the bad weeks, but just don't have bad quarters. I'm just, I'm back on this couple of glasses of wine a week with a client I was KPI I could get into. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. (laughs) Yeah, actually I, I did interview someone like last year who his whole prospecting activity was just a Friday lunch. He was a Queenslander too. But maybe us New South Wales people could, maybe us Blues could learn a thing or two from that. What about you, Hayley? What are the main KPIs that you track? I now track lots and lots of things. The business has changed for me in the last couple of years. So obviously listing sales as a pipeline activity to see where we're at. Um, We also do the quarterly tracking. So this is really interesting that Grant would say that because as a team, the first quarter target for the GCI, so the two million in GCI for the first quarter target is here, and then we just top it up as they get to that point, and then they've got rewards along the way. So, like if we only got to say one point seven five or something for the quarter, then they would get the one point seven five reward as a team. But if they get to the two million, then you know it's real party time. So that's been something new that we've implemented this year. That's really got everybody excited about their KPIs and how it adds up to the team's KPIs. We're looking at it from a macro scale as well as a micro scale. And just in answering that question of Collins before about doing it over two offices, it's engaging both of them in it. So it's not like Brisbane and Mackay. It's literally like everybody's KPIs collectively gets us to that goal. Kelly wants to know what was the $2 million reward The $2 million reward is a party on the yacht in the Brisbane River. So we'll fly down the Mackay team. Second prize was like a morning, or I think it was like a Sunday morning or something out at the Manly Harbour. 
like on a smaller boat there and then the like the third prize was like a dinner on the Kookaburra Queen. I've literally just done them on a like piece of paper here and we're $67,000 in com short of the two million so we've got what nine days to go bring it home I'll make a call to Leanne and just tell her to start hustling. <laughs> yeah absolutely what about you Will what are the KPIs that are important for you to track? GCI is obviously the big one, but for me, business intelligence is really important just to see how and what levers I need to pull in the business, who needs some more attention and who doesn't. We track, we do track calls, we track appraisals. We have a long-term vision on it, of course. We do a lot of appraisals, it doesn't matter if they're selling or not selling. We're really big on growing that pipeline, so we do track those uh, metrics. And I think over the years, that's that's been, it gives me confidence that I know where our business sits, what's the health healthiness of our business. Grant mentioned that some people respond differently. There are p- people in our business that I'm not so, I suppose, not hard on, but I, I don't track their numbers as much because they are self-sufficient. But there's other people in the business that we really, you know, to get those consistent behaviours, that's why we track those KPIs of calls and appraisals. And so that's, I found, for especially early on in their careers, getting those basics and getting those good success behaviours helps them long-term and then they can have more freedom. They can have three three bottles of wine a week or whatever it was with uh, some key clients and get the same amount of uh, same outcome they would with a new guy who has to make you know, 100 calls a week or whatever the, the KPI might be. Do you guys actually track these micro-level things like number of calls and database updates and things like that do you, do you track them and how do you make sure that people I think a common complaint is that I'm making my calls but someone's not updating the database how do you make that happen Grant firstly I think with the the, the data entry side of things the main thing that we focus on is potential vendors more so than following up too many buyers our buyers will go into our database it's more vendor management for me. I think every agent's different, but one of the things I say in every single one of my appraisals, particularly if it's a slightly out of area appraisal, is the fact that uh, I work with one of the companies that have the biggest active real estate database of active buyers, and that is realestate.com. So it doesn't matter where your property is, beating your own chest, saying you've got 5,000 people on your database, 4,000 of which you entered over a decade ago, is completely irrelevant to the person sitting opposite you. So be effective in how you market property because at the end of the day, so long as you've got it on realestate.com, your marketing's professional and you're likable, you are going to get that client a result. Obviously, we still do all of the emails of just solds, just listed, but keep it relevant to the people that want that information. I think that's probably most important. We don't mail bang or blast everything to everybody. So if you're after a two bedroom unit, you'll see anything that we list or sell that's a unit. If you're after something that's a million dollar acreage property, then that's the data you're going to get. So it just keeps it more involved. And I think the engagement levels are higher when you're giving people something that's relevant to them rather than just asking for a listing or sending them out a sale of something that's completely irrelevant to their lives. Yeah, that's very true. We were just having that conversation before we kicked off about segmenting your database and making sure that the communication you're having with the people out there is relevant to them, not necessarily just a blanket thing. Let's change tracks to recruitment for a moment. I want to ask you all, obviously people are so important to a business and you take on the right person and it makes everything sing, take on the wrong person and it can cost you a lot of money. So I'm keen to know from the three of you, what is your favourite question to ask in a job interview and what does it tell you about the person that you might be 
able to hire? And I'll start ladies first with Hayley. Mine's really simple. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And they either like ramp up and give you war and peace or sometimes give you like what I had this week. I'm a mum. Like, cool. What else can you tell me? So it is very telling. And it also gives me an insight into their personality, which is really, really important to me from a management level, but also from a recruitment and retention level. What about you, Will? What's your favourite question? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I Very similar sort of tack to Hayley, but I actually asked them what they do outside of work. You know, and just to get to the human level, I hire on attitude. I don't hire on skill. So if they've got the right attitude and they've got... You know, good behaviours in their personal life, I think it's easy to then apply those into the property industry. So, yeah, I, I, that question, I don't expect you really just to talk to them about what they do outside of their work, but I find that gives me a good insight to, to who they are. Grant, what's your favourite question? I think it's more probably the opposite than the red flag is more the I'd like to give it a go. That in itself is an instant no for me, that, that you're not giving it a go. I'm not, you know, I'm not charity, um, I'm not donating my time to you to have this little you know, three-month experience in real estate that you desire. I think you need to tell that there's that passion and drive. I am very much big on being motivated by goals that don't mention money. Like if you want to drive an M3 or you want to travel to Italy, they are goals. And if you've got those goals, the natural progression of the finance to achieve them will follow. But if you are in real estate for the money with no end goal, that's just another red flag for me. I would say, you know, in my inbox, it would be virtually daily that there would be someone who wants their son to get into real estate, their daughter, or someone drops off a resume. I'll give pretty well half of them the time of day to try and guide them into the industry and how to go about it. But you've got to have that right fit. And I think you'll, you can develop from any interview whether that person's going to fit your particular environment more so than you know any particular question. It's relationships again for me. I don't have a list of questions. You can pretty well tell over a coffee in half an hour with someone on how they present, what they say, the eye contact they make. Like, for example, the first day Darren met with me, he was well-dressed but not in a suit and over-the-top, try-hard, stood up, shook my hand when I arrived, shook my hand when I left and bought me my coffee. Like, that seems a pretty good bloke at 21 years old to me. (laughs) And it it wasn't even a gamble. I just walked back into the office and mum runs my business on the management perspective. And I just said to him, I found the one. It's him. I found him. And I hadn't had anyone for nine months because I refused to attach someone to my name and then see in one door out the other with a PA that's constantly changing, coming back. So I've only had four PAs or sales associates in 14 years. So people know that there's consistency with engaging with me and my team. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, this it's a good question. I think David Walker last week on the podcast said his question was, what's your plan B? And then if there is a plan B, it's straight to the chopping block. As Tony it's Robbins says, burn the boats. <laughs> Okay, so let's just say we've hired a person. What do the first few days look like when you've hired a person? What's the plan to get someone moving in your business? I might start with Haley again. Probably prior to that, we've had them do a personality profile. I know that I keep harping on about this, but it does two things for me as a business owner and for the exec team. It gives me an understanding of who they are and what their triggers are or what their levers are as such, but also how you can best manage them, how they like to be communicated with, how they're best going to learn. 
this gives me so many shortcuts into this process, like what they exhibit under stress. So from a management tool, it's really, that's really, really handy. So if they're like a process person, we'll sit down and we'll go through all the checklists and the templates and start kind of at A and then go through to B. If they're not a process person, if they're a salesperson or potentially a BDM in the business, then, you know, we'll give them little short blocks of information rather than sitting them down all day and going through A to Z because they're not going to take that on. They're not going to learn anything from it. And we want to make sure they have an understanding of how it all operates and works. It's interesting because it's very much treating your employees like a client and communicating with them the way that they want to be communicated with rather than trying to push your style of communication onto someone who that might just not work for. Our mentality from from my perspective as a business owner and certainly from our exec team is that everybody in this business is a client. So every employee is a client, every conjunctural agent is a client and they're all my clients. And if they're, you know, like looking after the exec team, they're all their clients too. So when a salesperson has a bad day and they're losing their mind, my exec team know that there's no opportunity for you to yell back, mate. They're a client. So just listen to them and and hand them on. It's not okay for them to not treat you nicely because that's a totally different kettle of fish. But it's also keeping in mind that they're a disgruntled client and we need to do everything that we can to help them through whatever pain they're having at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Will, what are your thoughts? Very similar. We we like to spend, we call it the engine room. So when people onboard into our team, they spend a lot of time in the engine room. And very similar, we, we try and find out how they like to learn. So from a process perspective, every, every process in our business has been videoed. So if someone likes to watch and learn, they can learn that way if they like watching and seeing. And so we partner them with, uh, might be me or it might be a, another person, depends on the role within the business. Uh, so really understanding how they learn and how they respond. And it's, it's like how they said, they are a client to us. So we treat them like a client and how they want to be com- communicated with, how we're going to get the best out of them. So that's the mentality we we, but in saying that, I'll talk about a sales role in particular, we don't get them to be out on the road listing and selling real estate from day one. We have a 90-day plan, which we onboard them with and then mm-hmm. align them with a mentor within the business who they can watch and feel and go along to the appointments with and learn from the front line. We also have a heavy uh, training regime, but again, it's going back to how they like to learn and each, each person is very different. So it's just about moulding that to, to suit them best, to get the best out of them quickly, not over a, a prolonged period. Yeah, that's true too, because what we found over the years is some people love this sort of a conversation. Some people like to go away and watch a video. Some people like to go and read a book. Some people like to role play and nothing's wrong. It's just different. Correct. Yeah. And what about you, Grant? How does my first week look when I come and work for you? That's a presumptive close, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I think very much it is hit the ground running. Um, I've never been a a trainer per se with textbooks and role play. I think your first week you've got to show the industry. So, right, get out there. That's what we've just sold last week before you got here. Tell everyone in the street, make sure they know about it, letterbox drop it, door knock it. Now, like any good agent, 
Darren, my sales associate, isn't out doing that now, but they've got to see it from the beginning. You know, you've got to see the the reality of what the industry is about, not the glitz and the glamour, which you know com- comes with time and having a good team. And it's ultimately why we're all in it, why we do it. But I think so many people just have this vision that it's overnight and I'm going to be lunching from day one. So I think it's just learning doing everything from the ground up, even if you've got others to do those roles, just making sure that everyone comes into your business. If we all fell off the planet and they were the last one standing, they can get everything done from the beginning to the finish. We've got a few minutes left and I've got some questions for you guys that have come in. This is a pretty specific question and I think maybe with the Will or or Grant, but where's the line between bonusing a PA and sharing a split of a commission? Where do you guys delineate that sort of thing? I might start with Grant. So look, every sales associate I've had, they've never been on the same package. But what I've always done, because real estate's incentive-based for us as principals, you make a sale, you get a bonus. That's called your commission. So I've always had it set up that there is a base salary plus $100 fuel allowance. You've just got to really identify what makes people click but understand and value someone in your business that you pay the peanuts, you get monkeys. So you don't want to pay peanuts to train someone up for next door to pay them what they're worth. I think that's probably the most important part is identify what's most important to them, but whether that be worth in flexibility, whether that be worth in dollars, whether that be worth in freedom and time or purely reward and pat on the back and a consistent appreciation and gratitude for what they do. Some people just love that. So I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Hayley, what are your thoughts? Is there a fine line or do you have a similar scaling sort of system like Grant? All of our EBUs kind of structure theirs differently. Some of them have EBUs with their own salespeople that have joined the EBU. Does that make sense? There's definitely lots of different structures, but the one that's probably most common is just the $500 per sale on top of their base salary. And those salaries kind of go from anywhere from 45 grand to I think 70. But yeah, that's probably most common for the teams of two. Yeah, absolutely. And Will? Yeah, from a, a PA or a, or a sales associate, it's very similar. Salary plus bonuses. It depends on, yeah, if they break off to be an EBU, then you might get commission splits that are different or they get rewarded based on the sale that they go and make or a listing that they generate. Similar to Grant, it, it's very different. I've had lots of different models over the years. But what I've found to be effective, especially for salespeople, is the uh, tiered success. So rewarding performance, you know, higher splits as they perform has, has been the best rather than a set split across every sale. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you've really got to hang on to your top performers by paying them well, because if they end up walking out the door, then you're dealing with the cost of hiring somebody else and training someone else up. And so would you all say it is absolutely worth paying that top performer more to keep them in the business? I guess our model makes that really easy for me to offer that opportunity to people. But I think, yeah, 110%, like as a business owner, if you don't have a career progression plan for people and knowing that at some point they're going to come back to you and say, hey, I give you $500,000 a year, what do I get for that? Look, to be honest, you have more $150,000 performers have that conversation with you than the ones that are writing a million. But at the same time, you've got to be prepared for the fact that those guys are going to come back to you and say, okay, cool, I'm, I'm ready to progress and have a growth plan for them. 
and have some future wealth strategies for them too because salespeople often aren't really great money managers and it's awesome to be able to offer them different opportunities or even talk to them about and be aware of things for high performers like they've maxed out their super contributions for the year. So when they've done so, this is what's going to happen and you're actually going to start to get more funds as opposed to getting a twenty dollars or $30,000 bill because no one noticed that you've been overpaying. And this is what comes back to them being your clients, right? This is your job as their, as their service provider, if you like, yeah. to help them through this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. 110%. That's providing the value that others won't. It's, it's kind of our unique selling proposition. Well, guys, I'd really love to thank you all for your time today. I've got one more question that I want to end with, and it's usually this, a similar question to what I end the podcast with, and I'd just like to go around the room quickly, starting with Will. If there was one piece of advice you could give these guys who might be thinking about taking on an assistant or building a team right now, what would that be? What would you like to leave them with? Actually, Grant said at the beginning of the session that don't hire a PA just to take some roles away from you really go into it with a business mindset that you're taking on a team member to double your income or to provide double the service to double the people. So it's got to be that whole one plus one equals five concept rather than just one plus one equals two. So Grant actually said it really well at the beginning of the session. Uh, that's You've got to have it with the right mindset when you take on a new team member. Yeah, I thought so too. Grant, would you like to add to that? Look, I think it's just a case of focusing on what's most important for you and making sure that whoever you do employ is in line with your goals as well. You don't want to be butting heads, working against each other, that real team sort of philosophy, and let them enjoy the successes with you as well. You don't want your team just seeing that you're doing really well and you've gone and got the new car or whatever you, whatever that is or whatever that looks like. It's the little things. If you've got a corporate lunch or something, you know, give them the opportunity, an REA event really make them feel like they are of value in your success. Yeah, absolutely. And Hayley, any final thoughts? Yeah, along the same lines as the guys, you've got to make a smart business decision about bringing on an assistant and make sure that you're actually going to be profitable after you've done so. If you spend all of that time training that person and drop your sales, you can have a very bad year as opposed to one that would have been pretty decent if you'd stayed on your own. So you just want to make sure that, yeah, you're more profitable with two than you are with one. Hayley, Will, Grant, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit eliteagentelevate.com. 